At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warm up on Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Easy Family Podcast. Got a tremendous podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Joe Fan does a terrific job over there at WinBet. Host the podcast. Bet two wins, spelled W-Y-N-N. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. Going to be talking a little bit about what we've been able to get out of the American League West team, sort of the outlook of the Seattle Mariners. Take a look at how he's been gauging some of these totals being a little bit all over the place. We've actually seen more overs than unders in the last seven days. So what we've been seeing with that regard and just some of the marquee games that we do have on Tuesday and just the strangest of having so many double headers because as I do this, we've got a lot of TBD starters because we do have a bunch of double headers that make things very, very murky. So we're going to be chatting about that with him in the second segment and then in the final segment. Going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Tuesday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. them from there, you're both firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we did have a great day of baseball on Monday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends in. Try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Rain delay and all. The Boston Red Sox are able to get it done by a count of 6-3 to three as Trevor Story and Xander Bogarts wind up getting home runs in this game to be able to lead the Red Sox to victory for Bogarts. Wins going deep off of Hector Neres to start home run season and Story, his second of the campaign. That one came off of Phil Maintenance. It's a rough night for the Astros bullpen. A bullpen that entered in this game in the top five with regards to ERA. Neres, three runs given up in an inning, including that home run. And Phil Maiton gives up a solo home run over the course of two innings. It's Jake Odorizzi. Five innings gives up two runs, only one of which was earned, but then wound up having to leave due to a little bit of an injury. Scary situation out there on the field. Field and well, he wouldn't have been able to stay much longer, even if he didn't wind up having that injury. As there wound up being a hefty rain delay in this one, Chaz McCormick he winds up getting his fourth home run season off of Garrett Woodlock, who now in the starting rotation has been solid for the Red Sox. Does wind up giving up that home run two runs a total over the course of five innings, but they'll certainly take that. Matt Stram along John Schreiber were able to combine for two scoreless signings. Matt Barnes gives up a run while getting one out of the bullpen. Jake Diekman, pair of outs out of the bullpen, and then Enzo Robles able to get a scoreless signing to be able to get the save. And Astros now lost two out of their last three after winning 11 straight games. Milwaukee Brewers get a 1-0 win over the Atlanta Braves as Freddie Peralta absolutely dominant here for the Milwaukee Brewers. Seven innings, punches out 10, gives up two hits. Devin Williams, Josh Hader. 
They closed the door in the 8th and ninth inning, striking out the side in both of those innings as it was just nothing doing here for Atlanta. And Ian Anderson, tough luck loser, gives up one run over the course of six innings. And then from there, you do wind up having Spencer Strider. Many people, including myself, you're going to hear the preview. I thought that he was probably going to be starting slash in a bulk roll on Tuesday and said they wound up utilizing him for two innings. He winds up being able to score, go scoreless there. So now it's going to be Tucker Davidson who winds up going on Tuesday for the Atlanta Braves. So unfortunately, that wound up happening after this game. But certainly for the Atlanta Braves, a little bit of a tough loss there as the pitching was there. Offense was not. The pitching was there, and the offense was not for the Tampa Bay Rays as well. 3-2 to two the final as Alex Fado wound up delivering a very good start for Detroit. He winds up going 5-2 and two thirds innings, winds up giving up a solo home run in the process. Going deep for the Tampa Bay Rays, Brett Phillips, the third home run season, and Corey Kluber, solid start in this one, winds up giving up two runs over the course of six innings, including a home run to Johnson Scope, third home run season, and Harold Castro will wind up having the kill shot in this one. Ninth inning home run, his first of the season. That winds up coming off of Andrew Kittrich, who winds up giving up that home run in his inning of work, Jalen Beeks. Two scoreless innings for the Tampa Bay Rays and for the Detroit Tigers. This team is currently in the top three with regards to bullpen ERA. Michael Former gives up a run in an inning, but Andrew Chaffin, Alex Lang get a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and Gregory Soto, scoreless ninth inning to be able to get the save. The Miami Marlins continue to play some overs. They wind up being able to take down the Washington Nationals by kind of 8-2, to two, and all of a sudden for the Fish, they have played five out of their last six games over the total as for the Washington Nationals. Rough go of it here for one, Aron Sanchez. Winds giving up four runs over the course of three and two-thirds innings as he wound up getting taken deep by Avicio Garcia. Third home run of the season for Sandy Alcantara. Very good start for the Miami Marlins. Winds up giving up one run over the course of eight innings and then Anthony Bass was hurt by an error out there in the field, but he winds up delivering an inning, winds up giving up an unearned run. And for the Washington Nationals, bullpen was rough in this one. Victor Arano along with Allison both both wind up giving up two runs in an inning. Arasimo Ramirez winds up giving you a scoreless inning and Carl Edwards Jr. for outside the bullpen, but the Fish continue to be able to put some runs up on the board. And the New York Yankees continue their winning ways. They have now won 19 out of their last 23 games. 6-2, they take down the Baltimore Orioles. Luis Severino was able to go six innings. Winds up giving up just one run. To wind up giving up a home run to Anthony Santander, his fifth of the season. Then he would take a roll to Chapman deep for his sixth home run season. Chapman winds up giving up that home run in an inning, but Yankees still clocking in with the best bullpen area out there in the big leagues. Jonathan Luizga along with Chad Green both give you a scoreless setting, and the deep ball continues to work. For this Yankees team, Jose Trevino was able to deliver his first home run season. Josh Donaldson is fifth, and then Anthony Rizzo is tenth. As Donaldson, along with Rizzo, wind up going deep off of Felix Batista, seeing a little bit of regression, gives up those two home runs over the course of an inning. Keegan Aiken, three and two thirds innings, scoreless out of the bullpen, but Kyle Bradish, four runs given up in four and a third innings, including one of those home runs. So, rough night for the Baltimore Orioles and a rough night for the Seattle Mariners. You wind up having the Blue Jays get the job done by a count of six to two as Chris Flexen was not flexing on his record. Now one and six gives up three runs over the course of five and a third innings, including a bear of deep flies in this one. As Matt Chapman, his sixth home run season at Bobachette, his fourth as UCA Kikuchi. Very solid here for the Toronto Blue Jays as he winds up going six scoreless innings. Trevor Richards does wind up giving up a run in an inning. It is a Toronto Blue Jays bullpen that has had some issues. Ross Stripling is now back the bullpen. He winds up giving up an unearned run in a third of an inning before Adam Simber closes the door. He and Yimi Garcia both give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Ryan Baruki was able to give you a scoreless inning for the Seattle Mariners. Their bullpen has been a little bit up and down as well as Wyatt Mills winds up giving up two runs in an inning. 
you wind up having a run given up in an inning by Ronis Ellis and the pair of outs out of the bullpen from Penn Murphy without giving up a run. And then Eugenio Suarez was able to get a seventh home run season. He goes deep off of Trevor Richards. Not as rough, though, for the Seattle Mariners as it was for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who they give up eight runs in the first inning and get clobbered 9-0 to the final. Dylan Peters at one point had the most innings for a relief pitcher without giving up a run. They started him in this one, and the start wasn't so great. Gets two outs, allows five runs. Bryce Wilson, the bulk guy who they've been having these two piggyback off of each other. Four runs, three of which were earned over the course of five and a third innings. You want to gain taken deep by Wilson Contreras. His fifth home run of the season, and that was with three men on. That is a grand slam. Meanwhile, Wade Miley was having a party in the USA and in Chicago. Seven scoreless innings, giving up one in the process. Michael Rucker, two scoreless innings. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I mean, you did wind up having a scoreless inning out of Heath Embry and a scoreless inning out of Tyler Beatty. So, I mean, technically, the bullpen wasn't necessarily too bad. They wanted quite seven and two-thirds innings, giving up four runs, three of which were earned, but nothing doing on offense. And the Cubs, a very dominant win. In this one, Noah Thor Syndergaard wound up getting roughed up pretty badly on Monday as the Walker Texas Rangers take down the Angels by a count of 7-4 to four for Syndergaard. Not a lot of help out there in the field, a pair of errors behind him, but winds up giving up six runs, four of which were earned and got just two outs. I may but yeah, from there. Four and a third inning scoreless. Mike Myers, nothing funny about this. He does wind up giving up a solo run in his two innings of work. Jonah Heim gets his fourth home run of the season before you do wind up having Kyle Barraclaw be able to get a scoreless inning. And for the Rangers, he did have 55 shades of John Gray. Allowed three runs in the first inning, but was able to settle down from there. Gives up four total over the course of five and two-thirds innings. From there, John King, Joe Barlow able to give you a scoreless inning. And Brock Burke, one and a third inning scoreless for a Rangers team that's now in the top half of the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. The Chicago White Sox wound up giving Johnny Cueto a start on Monday, and it didn't go too badly. Bullpen very nearly coughs this one up, but they are able to get the job done 5-3 to three of the final. Liam Hendricks strikes out the side in the 10th inning, so he looked very impressive in this one. Ryan Burr, Matt Foster were both able to give you a scoreless inning, and Kendall Graveman, someone who was looking very solid coming into this game. He's the reason why the game wound up going to extras. Minds up giving up three runs over the course of his inning after Johnny Cueto. Six scoreless. A very impressive start there. He did wind up having Luis Robert get a home run in the 10th inning to be able to break the tie. That winds up coming off of Scott Barlow, fifth home run in the season, and then a little bit earlier in the game, Brad Thunderkeller winds up giving one up to Yasmani Grandal. Grandal winds up getting a second of the campaign as Keller gives that one up. Three runs in total surrender over the course of seven innings. Dylan Coleman does wind up giving you an inning scoreless out of the bullpen. Barlow, meanwhile, he pitched a scoreless ninth, but then in the 10th, winds up giving up that home run before Gabe Spear winds up having to come on, and he winds up needing to get the final out. So the White Sox, now 17-17. and 17. This is a bunch, I believe, is now went 8-3 and three in their last 11 games. A team that had been relatively cold going into Monday was the LA Dodgers, as they had lost four out of their last five, but they're able to come back and get the job done against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Five to four, the final Diamondbacks were up going into the bottom of the fifth, and then the Diamondbacks offense, well, they wind up going into a little bit of a swoon while the Dodgers were able to get just enough to be able to get the job done. Chris Taylor, third home run season. That winds up coming off of one Sean Poppin. Poppin, he was not a Poppin. Actually, his ERA was because he winds up giving up that home run, two runs in total over the course of his inning. Madison Baumgartner goes five innings, gives up three runs in the process before J.B. Wendelkin and Keenan Middleton wind up both giving a scoreless inning in. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, they've actually had one of the best teams with regards to home run power in the big leagues. They have a Peralta's fifth home run season. That comes off of Craig Kimbrell and Tony Gonsolin. Serves one up to Christian Walker, seventh home run season for Gonsolin. 
Solid start here. Two runs given up over the course of six innings. You do wind up having Danny Hudson along with Caleb Ferguson. And Ferguson making his first appearance since I think he was back in Nam. He winds up being able to give you a scoreless inning as well before Craig Kimbrell gives up that home run but still gets a save giving up two runs over the course of an inning. The Minnesota Twins and the Oakland A's were by DK Nation pick with regards to the over and not a lot of offense late in this one. 3-1 to one the final. Minnesota Twins are able to get it done as they wind up going 2 of 10 with men in scoring position and Chris Archer limited just 4 innings in this one. Didn't necessarily look too bad. Just 62 pitches. Gives up 1 run but bullpen from there was able to do their job. You wind up having Griffin Jacks couple with Yenner Cano. You know what? Well, they were able to go four scoreless settings in the Ty Duffy. Is able to give you a scoreless setting to be able to get the save. Zach Logue winds up giving up two runs in four and a third innings. As he wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it from there. Domingo Acevedo gives up one run over the course of one and two thirds innings, including home run. Serving one up to Gary Sanchez, third home run of the season from there. You wind up having A.J. Puck, Lou Trevino, Justin Grimm. I'll give you a scoreless setting. So, Oakland A's have now scored three runs or fewer in 17 out of their last 22 games. And the San Francisco Giants, no shortage of offense with them right now. 7-6. They take down the Colorado Rockies as Alex Wood. Well, there was a lot of wood made by other guys again. Some three runs given up in four and a third innings. And then Dominique Leon winds up giving up a solemn run in his one and two-thirds innings of work as Ryan McMahon gets his fourth home run of the season. You did wind up having Tyler Rogers give up two runs in an inning. But John Breba, Camilio Duvall. Both give you a scoreless inning, and for the San Francisco Giants, the deep fly was working for them. Kirk Caselli, second and third home runs of the season, as those both wind up coming off of tie block, as Antonio Sensatella had to leave this game after two innings. That was not ideal. Block from there winds up giving up two home runs, four runs in total over the course of his three innings. Ashton Gadu, he winds up giving up two runs in an inning. Lucas Gilbreth, Carlos Estevez, they combine for a scoreless inning, and Alex Colmey gives you a scoreless inning, but Daniel Bard winds up giving up a home run in the ninth inning. And that winds up being the difference as Mikey Stremski gets his third home run of the campaign. That proves to be just enough for the San Francisco Giants to be able to get the job done for a Giants team that has been a little bit all over the place recently, but certainly has been able to do a relatively solid job here as I believe that they have now been able to win six out of their last eight games. And for the Colorado Rockies, they have now played each out of their last four games at Coors Field to the over. And I think that as a matter of fact, they have played all of their last seven games either over the total or there might have been one push in there depending upon your closing numbers. And if you take a look at Major League Baseball right now, things have been a little bit more stable with regards to totals over the last seven days. You take a look at it, 45 overs to 4,200, so a little bit of a shading to the over, but certainly things have been a little bit more 50-50 after the under binge that we wound up seeing at the beginning of the season, and underdogs have been able to do a solid job in this last seven-day stretch as well. 43-52 and 52 straight up, and for the favorites of the 52 wins that they've had, they have wound up having 13 of those be by just one run, so they have not been able to cover the run line quite a bit, and that's been a little bit of a theme this season. Favorites overall, 315 and 210, so winning 60% of games, but with those 315 straight-up wins, they have covered the run line just 231 times, so there have been 84 wins this season, which a favorite has won by approximately one run, including a lot of those being at home, because home favorites, they're actually a little bit worse than road favorites straight-up, 198 and 137, but among those 198 wins, for home teams, just 134 via the run line. So 64 
one run wins for these favorites. And overall this season, 269 unders, 226 overs. So 54.3% is what unders are hitting at this season. That's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now. And that's what we wound up seeing on Monday. But coming up next, we've got Joe Fan. Does a great job over there at the Bet to Win podcast with WinBet. He's going to be joining me. We're going to be talking a little bit about the American League West, a little bit about today's games, and just the totals that we're seeing in general. That's up next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family and Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guest as we've got Joe Fan joining me. He does great work over there at WinBet, and he also does the podcast Bet to Win, spelled W-Y-N-N, so very clever there. Joe does a terrific job taking a look at a little bit of everything. He's really been honing in the last few months on what we've been seeing out there in the MLB. I know that he's been doing a great job as well, taking a look at the NBA postseason, and to be able to follow Joe Fan on Twitter, easy enough. At his first and last name, Joe underscore Fan. Do note, two ends on the last name Fan. And Joe, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me back, man. Yeah, looking forward to learning, from, learning more from the master. And I think that we're both looking forward to learning a little bit more about what in the heck we're going to be getting on Tuesday because we've got three doubleheaders right now. And as you very well know, it is very unclear what these teams wind up doing with regards to doubleheaders because if you've got moving pitchers, you typically know, oh, this pitcher is going to pitch one of these games, but you don't know which of those games. And then one game is going to be a bullpen game. You think that one game is going to be a bullpen game, and then the next game is going to be that set starter. They wind up flipping around and I always feel like with regards to doubleheaders, I am really among all sports that you wind up betting, whether it be the NBA, NFL, it's just the hardest thing to keep straight in general just because there's so many moving parts and some of them don't wind up coming until minutes before first pitch. Yeah, I agree. I think betting baseball in general, in the middle of May, you know, I think it's one of those things where we know a lot about some of these teams, but I still feel like, you know, you look at a team like the Blue Jays, just one game over 500. I haven't totally shown themselves to be what I ultimately think they will be. And that's one of the best teams in baseball and a World Series favorite out of the American League. You know, so they've had to play a lot of games against the Astros. They played a lot of games against the New York Yankees, a very top heavy part of the schedule against some really good teams. And so, yeah, I think it's just a challenge in general. And you throw in a doubleheader and it, it adds another layer of, sort of unknown and intangible stuff that you just can't really plan for. And it makes it such a pain because if you wind up going pitcher dependent, you think, oh boy, I have locked myself in with, we're going to throw out there one of the doubleheaders, Merrill Kelly, and then he winds up going from game one to game two, and then your bet winds up getting voided literally minutes beforehand, and you don't have time to be able to change it. That always is a little bit of a pain. So that is something that you do have to deal with, and I'm so glad that you brought up the Toronto Blue Jays because they're going to be in one of the few games that is currently on the board as we wind up doing this podcast is right around minus 135 favorites against the Seattle Mariners, a team that you know very well with Jose Barrios and Logan Gilbert going for the Seattle Mariners. And I think that it's a tricky spot here because with Barrios, he's either been really good or really bad this year. There's no in-between. And Gilbert, he's been getting hit around a little bit the last two games, but still has been very solid in his second year up there at the big leagues. But you mentioned it with the Blue Jays. 
it's been a little bit befuddling to take a look at them averaging 3.7 runs per game going into Monday. And I do think that this is a little bit of a tricky spot. And if we get up to like a plus 120, I'd be willing to take a shot here on the Seattle Mariners with the way that the Blue Jays have just not been able to get it going on offense. Yeah, and I think maybe you look at an underspot as well. The Mariners bats really struggling right now. And also, I mean, they've just got injuries. And so they're dealing with a lineup right now that has Steven Souza just called up from Tacoma, Dylan Moore batting ninth, Abraham Toro, he'll be back. He won't be batting leadoff Tuesday. He batted leadoff on Monday just because Adam Frazier doesn't hit lefties well. And, you know, they struggled with Yusei Kikuchi, even though they hit lefties pretty well so far this season. They've been much worse against righties. I think Logan Gilbert is going to be just fine. I think you saw as the one big home run, it gives up a grand slam to Reese Hoskins in his last outing. Other than that, he had dominant stuff. Strikeout stuff has been, you know, ace-like so far this year and a season-high nine strikeouts in his last start. So the Mariners are capable of beating anybody. They are not better than the Blue Jays, though. And at some point, this feels like it could be a get-right series for the Blue Jays. As Maybe I'm just a spurned Mariners fan that always feels like, you know, we're the get-right team for any team going through it. But yeah, it should be a fun series all the way around. Like you mentioned, Barrios has been really hard to handicap so far this season. Yeah, it's been interesting to be able to take a look at him, and it's interesting to take a look at another team out there in the American League West. As We do have Joe Fan joining me on the podcast, and I still remember towards the beginning part of the season, I was like, Oh, the Houston Astros off to a little bit of a slow start. When are they going to be able to pick it up? Well, they've been able to pick it up. Going into Monday, winners of 12 out of their last 13 games. No question, beneficiaries of a little bit of an easier schedule to this point. But for the Houston Astros, this is just looking like the Death Star once again. And I take a look at this bunch. I think that they're going to be able to run the American League West just like they've done time and time again, though I will say very impressed by the Angels as well. But I take a look at this Astros team, and it just feels like every single time you foresee the fall off with this team, they're sort of like the Death Star, and they just rebuild, and they just continue to be towards the top of all of baseball. Yeah, and you've, you've seen guys, you know, Jose Altuve was, was slow to get out of the gates. He's been heating up. Alex Bregman's been heating up. Kyle Tucker after really an unlucky start to the year where his numbers weren't near what the projections would expect him to be, just given his hard hit rate and his barrel percentage. He's been on a tear of late. Jordan Alvarez, one of the best pure hitters in all of baseball, able to somehow hit for power and average. Not many guys can do that in the league. Much to my chagrin, again, as a Mariners fan, the Astros just refuse to go away. And, you know, them and the Angels have been absolutely on fire over the course of the last couple of weeks, potentially the two hottest teams in baseball. When you go through and look at every team's last 10 – you're seeing a lot of, you know, four and sixes to six and fours, not a lot of seven and threes. You have the Yankees there, the Angels there, but of course the Astros at nine and one over the last 10. They've been absolutely on fire. So anytime you can get Astros money line at a decent price, really anywhere below 150, it's worth taking, in my opinion, because they're going to give you a chance to win that bet every single time. They're just too complete, and they're they're good enough offensively to overcome a down start from one of their starters. They rank third in WRC+, plus, so they've been tearing the cover off the baseball, and you know, you'd expect them to continue to do so. Yep, and right now I'm finding them right around the neighborhood, about a minus 105, minus 110 for Tuesdays. We don't know how game one wound up shaking out on Monday because that's currently in a rain delay as we wind up doing this side up at two to two as I wound up taking the Astros on Monday myself. So I am right there with you whenever you're able to get those good prices with the Astros. It certainly is worth taking a little bit of a shot on. And we were mentioning the Angels a little bit as well. And 
I think that this is a fascinating spot as well because Reed Detmers, last time out, wanted throwing a no-hitter. I tell you right now, I think that Reed Detmers has upside with regards to the MLB. I don't know if the no-hitter is necessarily reflective of what we can expect out of him moving forward, but he certainly has been able to hone it in the last four starts, and now they're going up against the Texas Rangers and Taylor Hearn. We wound up seeing it with the Angels on Monday, North or Syndergaard. Wound up giving two-thirds of an inning more than myself. So that was not necessarily too terrific for them. So they really had to dive into the bullpen. But I do think that this is a fascinating spot for the LA Angels. I do think that might be a little bit of a get-right spot and perhaps a little bit more of a confidence booster for Reed Detmers going up against the Rangers team that they were able to get it going on Monday. But by and large, it's been a rough season for them. Yeah, it was fascinating to see in that no-hitter. He had just two strikeouts, which feels so rare just every elite start feels like it's coupled with at least one K per nine. Um, and he is, he's below that this year so far, 31 innings, just 20 strikeouts. And so how sustainable is that when you're not missing bats? It just feels like that's so essential in today's Major League Baseball. I got burned by Syndergaard. I was counting on him to at least be serviceable, given how good the Angels' bats have been. Against John Gray, he has been, he's been having a terrible season. He gives up three runs in the top of the first, and I'm feeling really good about that. And then... Of course, Syndergaard gives up six in the bottom half. You would imagine that Reed Detmers will give them something better than that. And as long as, again, as long as you can get that money line 150 or below, you know, there's definitely value there. Yep, I am right there with you. I do think that there is quite a bit of value here with regards to taking a look at the Angels moving forward as they've been able to do such a good job this year with guys not named Trout and Otani. And I really think that that's a big thing for them as we do have Joe Fan joining me on the podcast because as long as Trout and Otani stay healthy, these are two of the best players in baseball, and they were, ironically enough, one, two, and the MVP race coming into the season, which you don't find that very often with regards to teammates in any sport. But with the Angels, what I think has been so good for them is being able to have these guys like Reed Detmers be able to step up, be serviceable, Taylor Ward. And he's honestly had himself an MVP start to the season. I think that we're going to see a fall-off from him having right around a 500 on base and like eight home runs this season. But he has been terrific for this team, and I think that that's a big thing for the Angels. If these guys can continue not even to play the way that they have at the beginning of the season, but continue to be halfway decent, as long as you've got Trono and Otani healthy, this is a team that's going to be really a force to be reckoned with across the league. Yeah, they got the three W's, uh, Walsh, Wade, and Ward, and they've all been, you know, real good for this team. When you look at Anthony Rendon, who still hasn't really started to hit his biggest hit of the year so far is a left-handed home run against Brett Phillips. He's still hitting sub 230. And so you expect at some point he at least, you know, maybe not the NL MVP candidate he once was, but certainly you expect more from him as I guess the the most important thing from him is that he's at least been healthy, which has always been the biggest issue with him in general, but certainly since he signed with the Angels a couple years ago. An uptick from 227 to around 250 shouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Rendon. And yeah, like you mentioned, Otani and Trout came into the season 1-2 in the MVP odds, and I would imagine they're still there now, or and if not, I mean, close, because they have been both just spectacular, and, and that's why they're one of the best teams in baseball. No doubt they have been very spectacular. And what else is spectacular to see is that it feels like we're starting to get a little bit more scoring in Major League Baseball. Now, no question about it. Scoring is just down the season. But take a look at the last seven days in Major League Baseball going into Monday. We've seen about 53.5% of games go over the total last week. And I think that it's going to be probably a little bit of a challenge, but at the same time, a lot of fun to take a look at these totals moving forward. Because as we both know, it's just an underpalooza first three-ish weeks of the season. Now, all of a sudden, we're starting to see a few more overs, and 
I do have my question marks with regards to what we're going to be able to see with regards to home run balls when it comes to the summertime, because it does feel like the weather is really affecting baseball a little bit more than past years, because I typically it does wind up having a little bit of a factor this year. I feel like it's been playing much more of a factor than even in past years. But I do think that taking a look at these totals zigzagging a little bit more, taking a look at trends going to be very important for being able to just have accurate lines on these totals. Yeah, we talked about this the first time you had me on. I don't love betting totals in any sport, but there's something about losing on totals that feels more excruciating than than losing on, you know, picking sides or run lines or spreads and whatever sport. It's just a it's a wild way to watch a game. You know, if you bet an over, every man left in scoring position stings a little bit extra. <laughs> if you took the under, every two out RBI hit stings a little bit extra. And so, yeah, to me, it's such a crapshoot across the board, you know, unless you can ride that underway at the beginning of the season or, you know, you can ride that autoplay of the Reds overs that hit, you know, basically every day for a two-week stretch. To me, it's just something I normally stay away from, you know, just for the reasons you mentioned. Like, at some point, you know it's going to turn. You just never know when. And for the Reds, funniest thing ever on Sunday, them losing a game in which they have no errors, they give up no hits, and somehow, someway, they invented a way to be able to lose that game. Just, in my opinion, the Reds being the Reds. But with that said, when it comes to what we're going to be getting on Tuesday, we've touched upon a lot of the American League West. We've taken a look at some of the marquee games that we're going to be getting. Is there any game, whether it be from a betting standpoint or just a team or pitcher that you want to see a little bit more from that is really catching your eye for the Tuesday card? Curious what Mike Clevenger continues to do as he gets back into baseball, coming back from injury. Another Philly starter. Um, Most likely Zach Eflin, but it's not announced yet, so we've got no line. Okay, so I'm looking at the Major League Baseball sketch. It says TBD still, so could be Eflin. Regardless, curious what he looks like because the Padres are in arguably the toughest division in all of baseball and getting him back in at least, you know, looking like a front of the rotation guy, maybe not a one, but a two or a really high end three would be huge for their overall ceiling. And so I'm not going to bet it, but I'm going to continue to keep a close eye on Clevenger and maybe try to make some money off him later in the year. Yeah, Ben, it is so tricky to be able to take a look at some of these guys coming off of injury because Mike Clevenger, prior to him going down with that injury that kept him out of all the 2021 season, one of the more dominant pitchers in all the big leagues. But ever since he's come back, he's only had a small sample size of right around nine-ish innings. So I think that's going to be a fascination. And if it does wind up being Zach Eflin, guy coming off of pretty much a COVID IL, coming in to make a start after being off for two weeks, that makes it very, very much a fascinating matchup. And Joe, you're doing an absolutely terrific job. But take a look at so many different things. You do a great job day in and day out taking a look at baseball. I know that your heart is with the Seattle Mariners. And unfortunately... We don't wind up having either of our teams in for the NBA postseason at this point as my Milwaukee Bucks wind up getting knocked out. But with that said, I know that you've been doing a great job of taking a look at the NBA playoffs as well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what's all on tap for you. Yeah, right now I'm I'm riding this Celtics 25 to 1 NBA finals ticket and I'm hoping they can win. I can turn 100 bucks into 2,500 and you know, I can join you for a good stake at Texas Roadhouse, man. Yeah. That's what the goal is right now. That's taking up all of my attention. So Twitter at Joe underscore fan and then the Bet to Win podcast. 
and Joe doing an absolutely terrific job with the Bet to Win podcast, which you're able to find wherever you find this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, list goes on and on. And Joe just does a great job taking a look at everything that we've got in the sports betting world, does that on the podcast. And whenever he's joined me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, has always been able to deliver the goods. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast coming up next. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Tuesday as we touch them all. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to get Joe Fan on. He does a terrific job over there at WinBet and the Bet to Win Podcast. Great to be able to talk some Mariners. Great to be able to just take a look at what we're all getting in baseball in general with them. So big thanks to them. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Tuesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it. So it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81. We're going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where... We go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then interleague games are going to be at the bottom, though we do have one right in because Mets versus Cardinals wound up getting postponed yesterday. That is a game that wound up getting inserted after the betting board was made, so I'm going to be doing those both together, so we're going to go a little bit out of order when it comes to the doubleheaders, as we do have a few of those, but I'm going to do my best to be able to keep things straight for you guys as we do begin with one of those doubleheaders. 951-952 is going to be in with 965-966 on the betting board between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the LA Dodgers. And the reason why it's so easy to do this one together is that both of the pitching matchups at this point are to be determined. We know that Merrill Kelly is going to be starting one of these games for the Diamondbacks. We know that Tyler Anderson is going to be starting one of these games for the Dodgers, but we don't necessarily know which game they're going to be starting. We don't know if they're going to be facing off against each other, and then you've got a pair of bullpen games. If it's going to be Kelly versus bullpen game, and then Anderson versus bullpen game, or then you wind up having Kelly versus Anderson, and then two bullpen games. So this is a big, giant, jumbled-up mess, but... From what I'm hearing right now, it's going to be Merrill Kelly against likely Ryan Pipoy of the Dodgers and the rest of the bullpen, and then Tyler Anderson against who knows who for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And if it is Merrill Kelly versus Ryan Pipoy in this spot, I would make Merrill Kelly about a plus 154, plus 155-ish underdog, and a total of 7.5, I'd be looking over, and an 8 or higher to the under now with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Certainly has been a case in which the batting average for the team is not good, to say the least. They are hitting as a collective barely above the Mendoza line, which is actually better than what they've been doing for much of the season at a 204. But they do have a pair of guys in Dalton Varsho along with Christian Walker. They have six home runs. Varsho has given you a 330 on base, so he has been able to keep things moving for the team. You do take a look at the starting lineup for the Arizona Diamondbacks on Monday, and they had just two guys in the lineup hitting above a 232, so that is a little bit of an issue. But with the Dodgers, you do have a struggling couple of bats with this lineup as well. Max Muncie hitting right around buck 50. Cody Bellinger, he was out of the fold yesterday. He has not been able to find it once again this year. Justin Turner, 
just two home runs and over 100 at-bats, 205 batting average, and for the LA Dodgers, they had one guy in the starting lineup yesterday that had more than three home runs for the season, and that's Mookie Betts, so this has been a little bit of an issue for the Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers have so much more bullpen depth than the years in the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are one of the worst teams with regards to the bullpen in the big leagues, and when it comes to Tyler Anderson and the start that he's going to be getting, I'm assuming that he's going to be going up against a bullpen game. I wound up setting him at a minus 224. He did wind up getting roughed up in his last start against the Philadelphia Phillies, but in three starts and one long relief appearance before that, had given up one or two runs in every one of his outings, going between four and five innings in all five of them, so has been relatively rock solid this season, aside from that start, just two home runs given up in his first four appearances, so has been able to do a nice job there, someone that is not going to give up a lot of walks, even last year, wound up having barely over two walks for nine innings, and with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you do know what you're going to be able to get out of Merrill Kelly. Kelly is someone that pitches a little bit better at home than he does on the road for his career. It's about a 1.3 to 1.4 point difference, although I will say this year, just a small sample size in two road starts, but it's given up just one run over the course of 13 innings, so he has been lights out with that regard and has actually had a little bit of success in his career against the Dodgers, so got to put that into account as well. And if you do wind up getting Ryan Pipoy here for the LA Dodgers like I'm expecting him to, it was someone that at the minor league level wasn't necessarily too terrible. And in his first start against the Pittsburgh Pirates, little bit topsy-turvy because he didn't wind up giving up any runs, and that's the good news. But the bad news is he only went three innings because he wanted blocking five. And I do think that the command is going to be a little bit better in this spot. But with that said, as of right now, I'm thinking it's going to be Kelly versus Pepoy and the bullpen. And in that case, well, I'm saying my total is 7.9, so it's 7.5 for less looking over, 8 or higher to the under. And that would be game one with the Dodgers being up to a minus 154 favorite there. And then if we wind up getting Tyler Anderson against a bullpen of the Diamondbacks, I mentioned Sinks, Mark Melanson has up a good job. Matt Tipley has been solid along with Ian Kennedy, but certainly you don't have a lot of trustworthy guys there. You're probably going to be looking at Caleb Smith for long relief, who has been better since he wound up getting injured, but Caleb Smith currently has a north of 7 ERA himself in Anderson versus bullpen game. I'd be making the Dodgers up to about a minus 225 favorite, more like a minus 125 on the run line, and if it is Anderson versus a bullpen, it ain't half or lower looking over 9 or higher to the under. So, lots of TBDs there. Wish I could give you a little bit more, but they didn't make my job easy on that one. 953-954 on the betting board. We know the pitching matchup, but we currently don't have numbers as the Washington Nationals hit the road face off against the Miami Marlins. Cody Potit is going to be going for the fish, and Yohan Adon is going to be going for Washington. No numbers currently up on this game, but the book of Greg Peterson has a line, and I made Cody Potit and company a minus 212 favorite. Adon just has not been good for the Washington Nationals this season. Prior to the start they made at the end of the season last year against the Boston Red Sox, this is someone that for his career had never pitched above high A baseball. They just brought him a long way too quickly, and you take a look at what Adon has done. 1-6 record, 7.03 ERA and 7 starts. The six losses all have come by at least three runs. Now, he's not getting a lot of run support in the last four starts that he's had. The team has scored three runs or fewer in every one of them, so I mean, you can blame that a little bit, but Guy currently has 23 walks in 32 innings. That's right around seven walks per nine innings. He's only given up four home runs in 32 innings, and he's got some swing and miss stuff, but he has no command whatsoever. That means that he's not going to be able to go deep. Cody Potit is someone that has made a couple starts in his career. has been used mostly out of the bullpen, but wound up getting stretched out as he did wind up making a relief appearance on Tuesday, the last time he pitched. He was able to go four innings, so I don't think that Potit is really going to be able to go north of five, but he has the potential to be able to go five, and for the Marlins... This is a far from terrible bullpen. You've got the Anthony's and Anthony Bass and Anthony Bender. 
Both of them been able to do a rock-solid job this year. Bender has been a little bit topsy-turvy, but still, you've got to figure that he's going to be able to give you a relatively solid effort. You've had Stephen Okert be able to do a nice job. Cole Solzer winds up coming over from Baltimore is right around a 3-ish ERA. And then for the Washington Nationals, this has been one of the lesser bullpens out there in the big leagues or in the bottom 10. With that regard, it's just been not necessarily a great year, to say the least, for Kyle Finnegan with a north of 4 ERA. Tanner Rainey is back down to a 3 ERA after last year was at a 7, but I expect a little bit of Regression there. Victor Arano has had to see some innings. Now, what I will say for the Washington Nationals is that they actually do have a relatively solid lineup, which is why it's a little bit befuddling that there hasn't been a lot of run support for Adon because you've got Juan Soto has been able to go deep eight times this season. Now, he's got 11 RBI, which means that he's hitting a bunch of solo shots, but Adon runs for him. Josh Bell along with Yadier Hernandez, both hitting above a 325. Ruiz, Mikel Franco along Cesar Hernandez are in between a 260 to a 275. And then you take a look at the Miami Marlins and lineup has actually been pretty solid. You've got Garrett Cooper, Brett Anderson, along with Asus Aguiar, all these guys sitting between a 250 and a 265. Brian De La Cruz, who saw that being able to get on base, he's not back full. Now, you need a little bit more out of guys like Miguel Rojas, Ore Soler, Avicio Garcia, Jacob Salling, selling at 220 or lower. But I actually do like the way that the Miami Marlins have been able to shake up this lineup. And with Adon, I just think that he's going to get crushed once again in this spot. Said the Marlins, minus 212 on the money line. I'm going to lay up to about a minus 115 on the run line. And this is the case of which even in Miami, I'm willing to take an 8 over. I just have my total at an 8.4, so 8.5 would be my absolute lowest buy point on the under, so I would need an 8.5 or more. Meanwhile, an 8 or less, going to be taking a look at an over. 9.55, 9.56 on the bang board. The Slam Diego Padres are going to be in their face up against the Philadelphia Phillies. Right now, it is Mike Clevenger who's going to be going for the Padres and through the grapevine, it sounds like Zach Eflin probably going to be cleared to be able to pitch in this game, but that is yet to be determined as I wind up doing this podcast, so it is sounding like Eflin is going to be able to come off the COVID IL and is most likely going to be able to make the start, and if we do wind up getting Clevenger versus Eflin, because we currently have no numbers up on this game, would set the Padres as a very, very slight favorite at minus 108, because with Eflin dealing with a little bit of a strange circumstance being on the COVID IL last start, wound up being on May 1st, so it's been about two weeks since he's wound up being able to take the mound and in that sir wound up giving up six runs five of which were earned to the New York Mets now you do take a look at Eflin and what you can rely upon is him not giving out a lot of walks five walks in 24 innings this season I mean last year he wound up having right around 1.4 walks per nine innings so he does a great job of not putting guys on cheaply but this is also someone that is going to give up a little bit of hard contact thus far this year just one home run surrender but you go back to the 2021 campaign when he's doing a good job of being able to locate gave up 15 home runs at 105 plus innings so a little bit of an issue there was much better at home versus on the road but still having not had as much activity as you would like having been away from live pitching for a few weeks that is a little bit of an issue and he's going up against the Padres team that they are a little bit top heavy Manny Machado and Eric Cosmer going into Monday both hitting a 350 plus they have been absolutely tremendous for this team and you take a look past that You've got one guy that has seen more than 35 at-bats that has been hitting above a 237 in Oriel Faro. So you've got a big, giant drop-off there. The San Diego Padres, a little bit inconsistent with Aguilar now. They do a solid job of being able to draw walks, which that is actually going to be able to play quite well for Eflin. But with this Phillies bullpen, is there any trusting in these guys right now? They're in the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to ERA, despite adding Brad and Jurisic Familia along Corey Knable. These guys have just been highly unreliable and for this Phillies lineup, I mean, they have enough firepower to be able to take three or four 
from the LA Dodgers. That is very impressive in and of itself. You've been taking a look at Kyle Schwarber, and he's been doing a good job of being able to go deep for the team. Needs to pick up the batting average at a buck 89, but nine home runs for him. Reese Hoskins, he's been able to do a solid job. Bryce Harper is just right now one of the best hitters in the big leagues. A-plus home runs. He's starting to approach a 300 with regards to his batting average. Even Odu Barrera has been able to get on base for you, but I do take a look at this Padres bullpen. Currently, it is in the, in the bottom eight with regards to ERA, but I do think that guys like a Craig Salmon and Taylor Rogers are going to be able to pick it up and develop. Chrisman is able to give you a couple innings if needed, and Mike Clevenger, he's starting to come into his own a little bit, has made just two starts really since the end of the 2020 season, giving up five total runs over the course of nine innings against the Cubs and the Cleveland Guardians. He looked a little bit more solid in his second start, six punch outs and four plus innings against the Chicago Cubs, so I think that he's starting to find that good plus stuff. So, did wind up sending the Padres as a minus 108 favorite in this spot, assuming it is Clevenger versus Ufflin, in this spot in eight or less looking over a half rider to the under. 957, 958 is going to be going with 985, 986 on the betting board. You've got the St. Louis Cardinals taking on the New York Mets. It looks like the original pitching matchup is going to be game two here with Steven Matz going for the Cardinals and Taiwan Walker going for the Metropolitans and then we have added the game that was supposed to take place on Monday with Miles Michaelis going for the Cardinals and Trevor Williams going for the Mets. Now, Michaelis versus Williams. When I wound up doing this podcast yesterday, I was on the Cardinals with a little bit of a plus price. I've now made the Cardinals a favorite. A big reason why I wound up saying the Cardinals as just a slight underdog yesterday is because they were coming off of Sunday Night Baseball. You figured that they would be a little bit rusty and figuring that we are going to be able to get Michaelis versus Williams. We might see a little bit of a shakeup here, but if we wind up getting this consistent matchup, I'd be willing to take the Cardinals as even a little bit of a favorite, and I did wind up saying my total I had a 7.6 here, 7.5 for less. Going to be looking at an over an 8.8 or higher to the under. Wouldn't be surprised if the Mets wind up making maybe a little bit of a change. That said, I don't think that the Cardinals are going away from Mr. Miles Michaelis with what he's been able to do. 3-1 and record, buck 49 ERA. I mean, the guy has given up a combined five earned runs in his last five starts and has given up in that time span five walks. He has been absolutely masterful. Not going to give you a whole bunch of swing and miss, but he has been terrific. And then you do take a look at Trevor Williams, and he made one start this season that wound up coming against the Arizona Diamondbacks, and it did not necessarily go as planned. He has actually been halfway decent coming out of the bullpen, but wound up giving up four runs over the course of two innings in that start. Out of the bullpen, has given up three earned runs over the course of nine innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. One home run given up in that time span. I don't think that you know, a lot of walk in that start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, so two walks out of the bullpen, so nothing too great, nothing too terrible there, but you do take a look at the originally scheduled matchup between Mats and Taiwan Walker, and this is the spot in which I did wind up saying the Mets as a pretty sizable favorite. Wound up saying them at a minus 154, and currently we do have numbers up on this game, anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. It's what you're laying on the Mets in Walker versus Mats, and if you're looking at the Cardinals, anywhere between even money and plus 115, with your total ranging between 7.5 and 8. On 7.5, overs between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders, anywhere between even and minus 105, and on the 8, unders, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is between even a minus 105. And in this Mats versus Walker matchup, I am more than willing to lay the minus 120 to minus 125. Now, it is a little bit of a motivation spot here for Steven Matz, but Matz has not been missing any bats because he has been getting just completely barbecued all season long. He has currently got a 640 ERA, six long balls given up in 32 and a third innings. His hits per nine rate is right around 11. And just take a look at the last four starts that he's wound up doing. 15 runs given up in that time span over the course of right around 19 or so innings. So 
It has certainly been a hot mess for him. He hasn't necessarily given out a lot of walks. Eight walks in 32 and a third innings. He's gotten a little bit of swing and miss, but take a look at this Mets lineup, and it is one of the best that you're going to find out there in the big leagues. Pete Alonso has been able to do a nice job of being able to go yard, hitting at 270. He's been able to go deep eight times, 29 RBI. Sterling Marte of the Marte Parte, five stolen bases, 265 batting average. Jeff McNeil, Brandon Nimmo, along with Mark Hanna, eyeing at least a 290 for this team. Now, the Mets, they can be a little bit shaky with the bullpen, and you got to figure that it's going to be all hands on deck when it comes to most likely Trevor Williams going for them. Jason Shreve along Drew Smith have been relatively solid for the team. Smith currently rocking a buck 20 ERA. If you wind up getting to the closer in Edwin Diaz, he has been lights out and has a very good walkout song. So we do like that. And then for the St. Louis Cardinals, this has really been the best bullpen out there in the National League. And it's not necessarily due to the guys that you're used to knowing. Giovanni Gallegos right around a 375 ERA. Nick Wickren has been a little bit hot and cold. He's now rocking a 4 ERA. And TJ McFarland has been a little bit tough. But guys like Andre Pallanti and and Ryan Elsley have been able to do a very solid job with the team. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, Nolan Arenado hitting above a 300 with eight home runs. Paul Goldschmidt, after a rough week and a half or so of the season, he's now hitting well above a 300 to his credit. You've had Yadier Molina be able to pick it up. When Albert Pujols is not pitching, he's a little bit old, but still, he's been able to give this team a bit of something. And Juan Yepes has come in. He's hitting a 365 pair of home runs and 41 at bat. So I do like what I'm seeing there. If we do wind up getting the Michaelis versus Williams matchup that we were supposed to see on Monday, setting the Cardinals in that spot at minus 116 and 7.5 or less looking over 8 or higher to the under. And then if you do wind up getting a Mats versus Walker, which it looks like we're getting, and I'm seeing Walker's highest minus 125 favorite, want to lay that. Honestly, want to lay up to a minus 154 with the Mets in that spot. And did wind up saying my total at a 7.9 right now. I'm seeing available to me a 7.5, so I'd be taking a look at that over to go along with the Metropolitans. And 59, 9.60 on the bang board. The Pittsburgh Pirates walk the plank and hit the road face off against the Chicago Cubs. JT Brubaker is going to be going for the Buckos. And for the Chicago Cubs, it is to be determined. Sounds like there's a chance that we're going to be getting Marcus Stroman in this one. If we don't wind up getting Marcus Stroman, it's most likely going to be Keegan Thompson and a little bit of a bullpen game. If we do wind up getting Stroman, right around a minus 173 favorite to the Cubs. If we do wind up getting Keegan Thompson, I'd probably adjust this by about 10 to 12 cents because either way, I do think that you're in relatively good hands. I think that either of these guys should be a minus 160 plus favorite. I mean, especially with Keegan Thompson. How about a buck 60-70 RA? Uh, this gentleman wanted making his first start of the year against the Padres. Only won four innings, wanted giving up two runs. Marcus Stroman, if he does wind up being able to pitch in this one. Got to figure that he's going to be able to lend a little bit of length and for Strowman was a little bit of a rough start to the season, but you can tell that he was starting to fire in all cylinders in that last start they wound up having against the Milwaukee Brewers as his last start wound up being on the 1st of May. Seven scoreless innings against the Brewers looked rock solid there and He's been a little bit topsy-turvy this season. And if you're taking a look at the win situation, because I think that that's big with regards to Wrigley Field, looks like it's going to be blowing in a little bit. It's going to be a little bit more of a diagonal win. But that said, it should be helping out the pitchers a little bit more, which is big for JT Brubaker because this guy has been absolutely terrible on the road throughout his entire career. This year, he's got a slightly lower road ERA than a home ERA, but you go back to what we wound up seeing last season. 379 home ERA, which is not great, but I guess it's passable. 678 road here. He gave it up 18 bombs and 65 innings on the road. So that's not necessarily too terrific for the Pirates. All but two of their wins have actually come out of the bullpen this season. Despite the fact that they've got Chris Drain rocking right around at 60 RA. Ethan Embry has not been good. David Bernard, Anthony Banda have been relatively solid, but 
Certainly some issues there, and you do take a look at this Pittsburgh Pirates lineup, and these guys have been able to get on base. Michael Chavis has been able to right around 255 along with Rodolfo Castro. At the top of the lineup, Cabrian A's, Ben Gamble, they're both hitting above a 285. Daniel Vogelback has been able to give you six home runs, even with Brian Reynolds struggling a little bit. This has been a team that has been respectable at the plate, and for the Cubs, you take out that 21-run outburst that they had against, ironically enough, the poopy Pittsburgh Pirates, and hasn't necessarily been so great for the team. C.A. Suzuki has been stuck on four home runs since seemingly the dawn of dinosaurs. He's hitting right around 260. He's been able to get on base. He and have same way with him, but Frank Swindell, Jan Gomes, Patrick Wisdom, Rafael Ortega, all these guys hitting at 230 or lower. It's been a little bit tough, though. Wilson Contreras hitting at 275, and for the Cubs, third best bullpen ERA in the National League going into Monday. Scott Efforts has been very solid for this team. Now, Daniel Norris, Michael Rucker, guys like this, not necessarily too reliable, and Sean Newcomb has been a little bit banged up for the team, but Michael Givens, he's been giving you some very good innings, so I do take a look at this spot. If we wind up getting Marcus Stroman setting the Cubs more around about a minus 170 favorite, would be looking more around a minus 160-ish with Keegan Thompson, and really, whether it be Stroman or Thompson, a 7.5 or less going to be taking a look at an over, an 8 or higher going to be taking a look at an under. 961, 962 on the bang board. How about another to be determined starter as we've got the Atlanta Braves and they're going to be at the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Adrian, don't call me Dookie Houser is going to be going for the Brewer and for the Atlanta Braves it's sounding like it's going to be Spencer Strider either going as a starter or he's going to be a bulk guy. It is just to be determined as to what role he's going to be going but we're going to be getting in some form or fashion Spencer Strider and Figuring that we're getting a Hauser against a bulk slash starting Strider. I wound up saying the Milwaukee Brewers are minus 148 favorite and made my total a 7.9. So 7.5 or less looking over an 8 or higher. Going to be taking a look at the under now with Spencer Strider. Ironically enough, his first real long appearance wound up coming against the Milwaukee Brewers a few weeks ago. Wound up going four innings. Wound up pitching four scoreless innings. Punched out eight. Problem was, the guys around him just did absolutely nothing whatsoever for him as... In that game, Jesse Chavez was actually the opener for the Atlanta Braves, and he wound up giving up two runs in the first inning, and then the bullpen proceeded to just give up a bunch of runs for the Atlanta Braves. And for the Braves, they have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Tyler Madsick out there in the bullpen, so that has been a little bit of an issue for the team. You still have Kenley Jansen, Darren O'Day has been solid, but this has been a below-average Atlanta Braves bullpen. Even Jackson Stevens might have been rock solid up until the 11th inning against the San Diego Padres. I mean, even with him being able to come about, it's been an issue. And for the Brewers, surprisingly, this team is in the bottom half of the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA, even though you've got Devin Williams and Josh Hader. And when you wind up getting a lead, these guys are solid. It's being able to get them the ball because Trevor Gott has not been very good for this team. He's got right around a 3-4-ish ERA. It's been a case in which you've got John Del Gustave probably wind up pitching a couple too many innings. Hobie Milner along with Brent Suter have been up and down the season as well. But you do take a look at this Milwaukee Brewers team and one of the reasons why they have one of the best records out there in the big leagues is that they've just beaten up a bad competition. You take a look at this team and going into Monday, you wind up having three different guys with between eight and nine home runs and will you Adamus, Hunter, Renfro, and Rowdy Tellas. Tellas hitting about a 250. Adamus only hitting right around a 210. And Renfro more around a 230 in the middle. Christian Yelich, he's been able to get on base for this team as well, having that cycle against the Reds. But that's just it. The reason why the Milwaukee Brewers have such good offensive numbers, 49 bombs in their first 35 games, is because they wound up beating up on the Poopy Reds, the Pirates, the Chicago Cubs. Now that they're having to go up against 
a little bit more difficult competition. I think that's going to be difficult for these bats to be able to maintain. I do take a look at Adrian Hauser, though, and I do think that he's going to be able to come out and he's going to be able to give you a relatively solid start. Last time he was out there, he wound up delivering a little bit of a scud, giving up seven runs against the Cincinnati Reds. So only three of them wound up being earned, but prior to his two starts against the Reds, this guy was just absolutely humming along. He had given up a combined six earned runs over the course of his first 21-plus innings. So I do think that he's going to be able to return that form. You take a look at what he wound up doing after the All-Star break last season. Wound up posting up an ERA that was hovering right around three. And I mean, at home last season, a 281 ERA. So I do think that the Brewers are going to be able to get enough out of he. And I do think that Spencer Strider going to be able to do his part. But this is a raised bullpen that is currently not too good. So figuring that we could wind up getting Hauser versus Strider as either a starter or a bulk guy. Set the Brewers at a minus 148 on the money line and made it to where a 7 half or less. I'll be taking a look at the over on the total, 8 or higher to the under. 963, 964 on the betting board as we do go with my DK Nation pick as we got the Colorado Rockies and they are going to be playing OC San Francisco Giants. Alex Cobb is going to be going for the Giants and Jack Gould is going to be on the bump for Colorado with the San Francisco Giants. You're finding a range of numbers here. Anywhere between minus 142 and minus 161 is about your your lying. Meanwhile, with the Colorado Rockies, between plus 125 and plus 148 is your price. 11 and a half to 12 is your total. On the 11 and a half, over and under, both at minus 110. On the 12, under is minus 120, and the over is even. A DK Nation pick is going to be on the under. I know that. Coors Field unders could sometimes be a little bit scary, but if you take a look at the last few years, if you've just been taking unders, and unders only at Coors Field since I would say the beginning of the 2019 season, you've been able to add north of 55% of them under. So I do think that there is a little bit of something to that, and you take a look at the way that Chad Cool has picked thus far this season. 2.88 ERA. This guy wound up getting lit up a little bit in his last start, ironically enough, against the San Francisco Giants, but that was on the road. You take a look at what Cool has been able to do at home. Very small sample size, but he has allowed three runs over the course of 13 and a third innings overall this season. His walks per nine rate is right around three. He's a lot of opponents hit just a buck 89 off of him, and just having to adjust to elevation for the San Francisco Giants, I think, is going to be a little bit of a challenge. Now, to the Giants' credit, you've got a lot of guys that are starting to be able to get on base for the team. Thario Estrada, Jack Peterson, along with Brandon Belt, Mike Ustremski, going into what we wound up getting on Monday, throwing their Kirk Casale as well. All in between, right in the pocket of about a 240 to a 260. You've had Lamonte Wade Jr. come back. He's been relatively solid. And Evan Longoria making a little bit of an appearance, a long time in the cell as well, but got to figure that it's going to take a little bit of time for them to be able to get ramped back up for the Colorado Rockies. It is a team that they just hit so much better at home rather than on the road. As a matter of fact, between 50 to 55 points higher at home than on the road. CJ Crone, he's got nine home runs so far this year. Seven of them have wound up coming at home. You've got Connor Joe sitting well above a 300 at home, less than a 240 on the road. So you've got some very demonstrative home and road splits there. Jose Iglesias, along with Randall Grichik, they've come in in the offseason. They've been able to do a solid job, but you also do take a look at this Colorado Rockies bullpen, and while you wind up seeing those big home and road splits when it comes to the starting pitchers along with the bats, you also wind up finding it a little bit with the bullpen as well because you've been able to notice someone like a long reliever and Ty Block has been able to do a solid job at home. Justin Lawrence has a 235 ERA at Coors Field. Tyler Kinley has not given up a single run in 10 appearances going into Monday, so these guys have been able to do a very solid job with that regard, and you do take a look at the San Francisco Giants has been a little bit rough for the bullpen thus far this season, but that said, you also do have the lone bullpen in the big leagues last season. Now, wound up having a sub-3 ERA many 
of these guys are back, like a Tyler Rogers. You've been dealing with an injury to Jake McGee, but he was really the trouble spot for this bullpen. Darling Garcia, Camilio Duvall, both of these guys have been relatively solid for the team as well, so I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that there is quite a bit of value on the under, even with Alex Cobb being a little bit inconsistent when he is away from the state of California. You notice that last season, he wound up having a home ERA that was more than two points lower than his road ERA. You take a look at the way that he wound up pitching against the Colorado Rockies the last time out. Wound up giving up one run over the course of five and a third innings. Has made five starts this season. Has given up two earned runs or fewer in four of them. Earned runs very being very key because he wound up being the victim of a whole bunch of unearned runs. As a matter of fact, already five of them thus far this season. But I do think that things are going to be a little bit more stable for him. So DK Nation pick is going to be on the under. And with the Rockies, was willing to take pretty much anything north of a plus 120 on them. We are well past that. So looking Rockies and with the DK Nation pick looking under. 965-966. We already did Diamondbacks versus Dodgers game two. That is nice, clean, and easy there. So that means that we go to the American League game starting with 967-968 on the bang board. And this is going to be in conjunction with 975-976. You've got the Chicago White Sox and they're going to be taking on the Kansas City Royals. We've got no numbers up on either of these games, which... That's just an absolute blasty blast right there. But with that said, it does look like for game one, we're most likely going to be getting Dylan Cease for the Chicago White Sox and John Easley for the Kansas City Royals. Now, game two is completely up in the air. Neither team has announced anything with this. I've got projected Lucas Giolito figuring that he winds coming off the COVID IL going up against a bullpen game of the Royals and if you wind up getting Giolito versus bullpen game, I wind up saying Giolito at a minus 152. Eight or less, I'd be looking at an over eight and a half or higher to the under. That's all the lip service I'll wind up giving on this one just because it is a case in which it's a big old TVD. They could wind up going in any sort of a direction here. So it's really hard to be able to project forward. And that's what makes these double headers just so gosh darn tricky, especially when you wind up having them on Tuesdays where rotations are being reset so I apologize if I'm not able to give you too much there but I'll be updating it on the spreadsheet I got you guys covered there but as long as we do wind up getting the Cease versus Heasley matchup they wind up saying the White Sox in relatively the same neighborhood eight or less looking over eight and a half or higher to the under and with Dylan Cease made him a minus 149 favorite with Dylan Cease always has had a little bit of demonstrative omen road splits throughout his career though this year that has not been the case a little bit of a smaller sample size but 357 home area 352 road area you take a look at 2000 21 and he posted up a 318 on 469 on the road but I really like the way that Dylan Cease has been able to throw this season and this is a guy that's got 58 punch outs in 38 innings he has been nothing short of masterful there walks are a little bit of an issue for him he has been giving up right around 3.7 3.8 walks per nine innings and got destroyed in that start against the New York Yankees but you take that Yankee start out of it and he's given up a combined nine runs over the course of 34 innings so He's been able to do a nice job of being able to hold down the fourth sub-3 ERA. And then for Heasley, was relatively solid out of the AAA level. But that said, when he's been up at the big league level and he's had a little bit of a cup of coffee, nothing great, nothing terrible. He's made four career appearances, 450 ERA. Someone who does a good job of being able to hold down the fourth probably is going to give up a couple more walks than what you'd like. Seven walks in 18 innings throughout his career was a little bit of a sore spot from at the minor league level, but does a good job of not giving up a whole bunch of rockets. And you take a look at this White Sox team, and it's really been a little bit of a power outage for them. Tim Anderson has been amazing for this team. Ian Luis Robert are hitting above a 300 with Anderson. He's been able to hit for a 336. So, I mean, he has been amazing, but... 
We've got Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal, Lurie Garcia, all these guys entering into Monday, hitting below a 100. Josh Harrison is in that fold as well. Now, good news is Yohan Moncada is back in the fold. He's been solid ever since returning. And Andrew Vaughn is now off the injured list as well. He's got four home runs and 61 at-bats. It's going to be interesting to see if he needs a little bit of time to be able to ramp back up, but that's good for him. And for the Kansas City Royals, even with them going to Coors Field over the weekend, this is still a very light-inning team. With Merrifield, Carlos Santana, you're able to throw in there, Bobby Witt Jr., Kyle Isabel as well. All these guys are hitting at 220 or lower. It has been an almighty struggle for them. Salvador Perez, he's hitting at 210. Does have six home runs, but that's part of the issue for the Kansas City Royals as well. This is a team that in the first 32 games of the season, just 21 long balls and when you don't wind up having guys that are able to get on base for you, that certainly is a big giant issue to say the least. And you do take a look at this Royals bullpen, and it's in the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to ERA. Even though you do have a couple guys that have been able to do a good job of being able to come in and being able to hold down the fort. Jake Prince is currently out with an injury, but Scott Barlow has been nothing short of masterful for this team. A lot of this has to do with the fact that you wind up having Chris with K. Bubich wind up having starts in which he winds up going less than an inning, and you just don't wind up giving your bullpen a fighting shot, which winds up leading to long relievers winding up, up having to come in and it has been not necessarily so great there. Amir Garrett, Josh Shamout was expecting a little bit more out of them. They're combining for north of a four-ish ERA, so that has been a tad bit of an issue, but you do take a look at what you're able to get on the flip side for the White Sox, and Liam Hendricks just has not been that great this season. He's got a north of four ERA, and he's currently tied for the league lead with three blown saves, so I don't understand what necessarily all the hubbub is there. I actually like Kendall Graben a whole heck of a lot more for this team who has been able to do a very solid job for this team. Sub-2 ERA is able to give you multiple innings from time to time, and has been good. You've been able to get some very solid innings out of Matt Foster. Even someone like a Jose Ruiz has right around a 3-5-ish ERA. So I do think that with regards to seats versus Helsley, eight or less looking over, eight and a half or higher to the under. I'm pretty much willing to lay up to a minus 150 with Dylan Cease and company and for Giolito. Once again, question mark if he winds up going. If he does wind up going, I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 152 with him against a bullpen game. But we have so many question marks with that one. It is not even funny. You got to figure that Joel Pampas is going to be seeing quite a few innings for the Kansas City Royals on this day as long as he is good to go. But I mean, man, oh man, a lot of moving parts with that. And I mean, we don't even know if Lucas Giolito is going to be able to go in this game. If it perhaps winds up being Vinny Velo, winds up getting moved up a day. So I have lots of moving parts there, but if we do wind up getting G-Lito versus a bullpen game, we'll be willing to make the White Sox a relatively similar price. And once again, eight or less looking over eight and a half rider to the under. 969, 970 on the betting board. The Detroit Tigers are going to be in the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Shane McClanahan is going to be going for the Rays, and Bo Brisky is going to be on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. Brisky and company are finding themselves a big underdog, anywhere between plus 197 and plus 215. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Rays, it's anywhere between minus 222 and minus 265, with 7 being your total. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. When it comes to the spot, I did wind up saying my total at 7.8, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over and didn't think we would get there with the Tigers, but I wound up saying them at a plus 218. I'm seeing a plus 220, and that means that I am in on the Detroit Tigers. Now, for the Detroit Tigers entering into Monday, they were on pace as a collective to be able to get 74 home runs. To keep that into perspective, Barry Bonds by himself 
with very questionable substances, hits 73 all by himself. So that is not necessarily so great. It's Robbie Grossman, Spencer Torkelson, Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Derek Hill, all entered into Monday. Javi Bias as well, hitting at 225 or lower. But you've been able to get something out of Willie Castro, right around a 390 on base. Miguel Cabrera is hitting right around 300, a long throw Castro. So you do have guys that are able to get on it. For the Detroit Tigers, this is a top three bullpen with regards to ERA. It has been absolutely lights out. Michael Fulmer has been able to give you some good innings. Been very impressed by what you've been able to get out of Alex Lang, Gregory Soto, Will Vest. These guys are able to come in. They're able to hold down the fort. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, they're a team that's been right around the league average with regards to bullpen ERA, even with J.P. Fire Eisen not having given up a single earned run entering into Monday. You've got Jason Adam, who's been able to do a solid job. You've got Brooks Raley, who's been typically able to stay on the Raley's. He's been able to give you a 270 ERA. Ryan Thompson has been solid, but been a little bit up and down there. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, been a little bit of a random lineup for the team as you take a look at the guys that wound up getting the start on Monday. Vidal Brujan, along with Kevin Kiermeyer, Mike Zanino, Tyler Walls, Brett Phillips, all entered into the game hitting a buck 85 or lower. Randy Oroz Arena has not been too much better, hitting right around 225. But Wanda Franco, G Man Choi, Yandy Diaz, all these guys entered into Monday hitting above a 265 for this team. You've really been able to have Manuel Margot get on base. He's been able to 350, has been dealing with a couple of ailments, but he's been able to do a solid job, Brandon Lau. He's been a little bit off and on injured as well. He's hitting for five home runs, but only hitting right around 215 himself. Harold Ramirez has been able to get on base, so it's been a little bit strange there. And for Bo Brisky, he doesn't necessarily do anything great. I am not going to try to sell you that this guy is going to be one day becoming some sort of a masterful starter. He's given up five home runs in 21 innings and has just a 386 ERA, so that actually indicates that he's been a little bit lucky with what he's gotten this season. 10 walks give it up in 21 innings, but he is backed up by a bullpen that is very solid, so even if Brisky winds up getting lit up a little bit more in the spot, and I do think that there's a chance that he winds up getting lit up. He does have that safety net in for Shane McClanahan. This guy's getting a whole bunch of punch-outs. About 58 strikeouts in 39 in a third innings. He's right now getting more than 11 punch-outs per nine innings, and he's been able to do a very masterful job all season long, giving up two runs or fewer, and now four of the team's last five starts, and has really limited the walks. Right now, giving up right around 2.2, 2.3-ish walks per nine innings, so I do think that McClanahan certainly has a leg up there, but ironically enough, the Detroit Tigers have the advantage out there in the bullpen, so getting the 220 that I'm seeing right now, I'm willing to take that big FD plus price. Semi-total is 7.8, so looking at the 7 over as well. 971, 972 on the bank board. The Baltimore Orioles are going to be playing also the New York Yankees. Jameson Dion is going to be going for the Yankees, and Spencer Watkins is going to be going for Baltimore. Baltimore has found themselves as a very sizable underdog. Anywhere between plus 165 and plus 188. Meanwhile, with the Yankees, anywhere between minus 195 and minus 210 is your price. 8 to 8.5 is your total. On the 8.5, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even to minus 110. On, on the 8, the over is minus 115. And the under is minus 105. With Tyon and company, I wound up saying them as very hefty favorites here. Wound up making Tyon a minus 213 money line favorite. That begs the question, what is the run line at? And right now, the run line, you're finding it anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. I was willing to lay up to a minus 135, so I'm going to be willing to take a shot there. Would much rather reduce the juice, especially with a Yankees lineup. Then you've got a whole bunch of monsters out there in this one as going into Monday. 
Aaron Judge along with John Carlos Santana combined 22 home runs out of these two gentlemen. It has been absolutely amazing to take a look at it. They're both doing a great job of being able to get on base. And then on top of that, their home runs, they aren't solo home runs because guys like DJ Turner up LeMayu hitting a 270 for this team along with Isaiah Canera-Falefa. Now, a few of these guys towards the bottom of the lineup, Jose Trevino, Joey Gallo, Aaron X, they need to pick it up a little bit, but Hicks, 355 on base. Gallo's been able to give you a couple home runs recently. Anthony Rizzo, 340 on base, despite a little bit of a low batting average. He's got some pop in the bat end. Where the Baltimore Orioles, after each other first 12 games, either wound up being a push or under on the total, they've been able to get a little bit of something cooking as well. You've had Ryan Mountcastle out of the fold the last few days. That has hurt them a little bit. But Trey Boom Boom Mancini along with Anthony Sandaner. Both have a 350 on base with Mancini. 290 batting average Cedric Mullins. After a very rough start to the season, he has really been able to pick it up in the month of May, entering into yesterday, hitting for about a 330. So that has been nice. But you've got Ramon Urias along with Runet Odor, Anthony Benboom. You're able to throw in there Robinson Chirinos, Kelvin Gutierrez, all these guys at the bottom line up there have been a complete and utter hot mess for the team and missing Austin the Sage kid. That does wind up hurting them a little bit as well. Now, you take a look at Spencer Watkins, and I don't think he's as bad as his 8 ERA last season, but this guy, after a couple of good starts to the season, has been getting barbecued. 10 runs surrendered over the course of his last eight and a third innings. Not necessarily too terrific there. Four bombs, 12 walks, given up in 26 innings. He's averaging four and a half strikeouts per nine innings. That is not necessarily too terrific. And for Jameson Tyon, you take a look at his home and road splits from last season, and he was so significantly better at home. He wound up having a 560 road ERA, 326 home ERA. Now, you do want to take note that Baltimore, they wound up changing their ballpark dimensions last season, so that's going to be able to keep the ball in the yard a little bit better for Jameson Tyon, who slowing opponents hit right around a 273 off of him, which that is a little bit of an issue, but that said, I do think that this is a spot in which he is going to be able to come out. He's going to be able to give you a relatively solid start. The Orioles, they're starting to pick it up a little bit more with regards to their batting average, so do want to say this total at a 9.2. I'm looking over and with the Yankees, I think that they are going to be able to just rifle into this Baltimore Orioles bullpen as well. And for the Orioles, it's been a top 10 bullpen with regards to ERA, but Got to think that there's going to be regression coming with these guys. CNL Perez entering into Monday. It's somewhat ERA. I actually like what you've been able to get out of Felix Bautista, but someone like a Brian Baker. It's got a 450 ERA. It's probably going to go nothing but up. Paul Fry has been a little bit banged up, and even when he's been in there, it has been brutal. And for the Yankees, actually, the top open with regards to ERA. Clay Holmes has been very solid for the team. Roldis Chapman, he's been finding himself with a sub-2 ERA pretty much for the entirety of the season. Lucas Lukey has been able to give you some solid innings. So, do mind saying my total a little bit north of nine. I'm looking over and I'm looking at the Yankees run line. 973, 974 on the main board. The Seattle Mariners are going to be in the road face off against the Toronto Blue Jays as Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Jays and Logan Gilbert is going to be going for Seattle. Seattle's find themselves as an underdog anywhere team plus 110 and plus 121. Meanwhile, if you're looking at Toronto, it's anywhere team minus 126 and minus 135 with 8.5 being your total. The under is anywhere team minus 115 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. Seeing straight at 8 out there as well with the 8 over is minus 120 and the under is even. And when it comes to Logan Gilbert, I did wind up saying him as a slight underdog of a plus 121. We are seeing a plus 121 coming onto the board, and it's actually opened up at a plus 125, so pretty much as long as we're north of a plus 120, I'm going to be willing to take a shot here on the Seattle Mariners. Jose Barrios has been just a little bit all over the map for a Blue Jays team that I'm just still surprised at the offensive season and sort of the ineptitude of it. 35 games thus far this season, and 
It's been a bunch that has been averaging fewer than four runs per game. And it's not necessarily because they're doing a terrible job of getting on base. You expect a little bit more than a two thirty three batting average. But when they wind up getting men in scoring position, they make like your buddy at the bar, and they just cannot close. You've had Lager or Jr. hitting a two eighty with seven home runs, and George Springer more of a two seventy average. He's also got seven bombs. You expect a little bit more out of them, but not like they've been in some sort of a significant funk. But Oscar Hernandez has come back in the fold. But he, Zach Collins, Matt Chapman, they're all hitting a 215 or lower. Bo Bichette has been hit right around 240 for the seam. He's been picking it up a little bit more. And for Bichette, he did wind up going deep yesterday. So that winds up picking the seam out a little bit more. But you do take a look at Seattle. Want a little bit of an all-or-nothing lineup? Well, here you go. Because going into Monday, Eugenio Suarez, Abraham Toro, Cal Raleigh, Dylan Moore, Steven Sosa Jr., Luis Torrens, all these guys were hitting a 215 or lower. Meanwhile, J.P. Crawford and Ty France were both hitting above a 320, with France being able to give you over 20 RBI. Jesse Winker has been able to pick it up a little bit more. Nods north of a 320 on base. Wound up having a very big series against the Mets, including a big home run on Saturday. So you do like to see that. But for both of these bullpens, it's been a little bit of a mess. With the Blue Jays, Jordan Romano has actually been one of the better closers out there in the big leagues. I believe that he leads the league with regards to saves. But you take a look at the long guys, and you have been able to get nothing whatsoever out of them as Right now, you've got Julian Merriweather rocking a 7 ERA, Ryan Baruki a north of a 5 ERA, Emi Garcia, Trevor Richards, Trent Thornton, all above a 350 out there in that pen. And that's not necessarily great because Jose Barrios, he's either been very, very good or very, very bad. 562 ERA for him. You take a look at it, and he's given up a combined 11 runs over the course of his last 10 innings. Certainly has been given up a little bit too much hard contact. Six home runs given up in 34 innings. Walks per nine rate is right around three, so hasn't necessarily been too bad with that regard. And as always, Ben, whether it be in Minnesota or Toronto, a little bit better at home than he has been on the road, but I do take a look at Logan Gilbert, and even though he's been figured out a little bit more, you take a look at his last two starts, he's given up a combined eight runs, seven of which were earned over the course of ten innings, so it's been pretty rock solid for this team, giving up just three home runs in 38 innings. The walks per nine rate is hovering right in the neighborhood, about 3.3, that is a little bit of an issue, but in his four road starts, has given up just two earned runs, three runs total over the course of 21 and a third inning, so Anything north of a plus 120, one to take a shot on the Mariners. And I did wind up saying my total height is 7.7. I do think that Barrios is going to be able to find it against a Mariners lineup that is very top-heavy. And for the Blue Jays, I mean, once again, not sure where the bats have been, but they certainly have not been coming to the forefront. So I'm going to be taking a look at this total under, and I'm looking at the Mariners at plus 120 or greater. 975, 976, that is sort of the TBD game between the White Sox and the Kansas City Royals. We already went through that, so we go to 977, 978 on the main board. The Boston Red Sox are going to be playing us to the Houston Astros. Jose Arikidi is going to be going for the Astros, and Nathan Eovaldi is going to be on the bump for Boston. Boston is finding themselves as a very slight favorite in a lot of spots. Anywhere between a minus 105 to a minus 110 is what you're laying there. Meanwhile, with the Astros, it's anywhere between minus 115 and even money with your total on this game, 9. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. And this is a spot in which I do end up saying my total at an 8.6. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under because you take a look at Anthony Evaldi and he has been able to do a very solid job with regards to being able to limit hard contact. Elias here wound up giving up right around a half a home run per nine innings. Meanwhile, he wound up giving up a little bit more than a full home run per nine innings when he was on the road. Meanwhile, this year for Eovaldi, it has been a little bit of a case in which he has given up that deep ball. Nine home runs given up over the course of four eight the innings in total, but that said, he's only wound up having 
two starts at home, so very small sample size there. Hard to take away much from it, but Jose Urdikidi throughout his career, always a good guy with regards to being able to locate. Does not give out too many walks. That has shown itself this season. Four walks in 28 and two-thirds innings. Has given up four home runs. That is a little bit of a trouble spot, but what is not a trouble spot for the Houston Astros, and it's very surprising to say, the bullpen. Entering into Monday, a top-five bullpen with regards to ERA. I was not expecting this, and I certainly do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression. Rafael Montero wound up entering into Monday with a 0.61 ERA. That is just not sustainable for him. I mean, Ryan Sanic, right around a buck fifty ERA. You've been able to have some very good innings out of even someone like a Brian Abreu. So, I mean, this has been going very well for them. Ryan Presley has actually been underperforming, and I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. And for the Red Sox, it certainly is a case in which removing Garrett Woodlock from the bullpen, it is the right move because he has been very solid as a starter, but now you really don't have too many guys that are reliable out there in that bullpen. Carter Crawford, when he's been a long guy, has been terrible. Phillips Valdez has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. Tyler Danish, along Jake Diekman, Itakaza Sadamota, all these guys have between about a 3-3 and a 3-7-ish ERA, so not like they're complete and utter hot garbage, but certainly you expect a little bit more from them, and for the Astros, entering into Monday, they had scored at least five runs in, I believe, six out of their last seven games. You've got a lineup that all of a sudden has become the Death Star once again with Yoli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker all being able to pick it up. Alvarez, 11 home runs to go along with that batting average. Gurriel wound up having a monster series against the Washington Nationals. Michael Brandley, he's hitting at 350 for the team. Jose Altuve since coming back from injury has been rock solid. And for the Boston Red Sox, it's three guys hitting and nobody else. Sander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers all hitting above a 350, all with at least a 350 on base. And Devers last year wound up having those 38 home runs, so we all know what he's capable of. But then you take a look at the rest of the lineup. Kike Hernandez, Trevor Story, Jackie Bradley Jr., Bobby Dahlback. I mean, all these guys are in at 220 or lower. It has been a complete and utter hot mess for this team. So I do think that this is going to be a situation in which you just need to wind up getting a little bit more out of the non-star players of the Boston Red Sox. I do think that you are going to be able to get a relatively good start here out of Nathan Eovaldi. I was willing to set him as a slight favorite with Eovaldi. Was willing to lay up to a minus 111 in this spot because I do think that he's got Jose Urquidy outgunned a little bit. So as long as this Red Sox price stays at a minus 110 or less, I am going to be willing to bite on it. And I mean, especially if you're able to get a little bit of a plus price because this is a relative pick game here. Wanted to take a shot on Boston, and then when it comes to the total, I do think that Eovaldi going to do a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. It is a little bit more of a nighttime game. It's a little bit cooler out there in Boston this time of year, so do you mind saying my total at an 8.6? Taking a look at the 9, I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and with Boston, I do think that they're going to rise up a little bit more, so wanted to take them up to a minus 110. 979, 980 on the main board. The Walker, Texas Rangers are going to be playing us to the LA Angels. Reed Detmers is going to be going for the Angels, and Taylor Hearn is going to be on the bump for Texas. Total on this game is 8. Under is anywhere between minus 110 minus 115. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. And with the Angels, in between minus 125 and minus 130 is what you're laying with them. Plus price with Texas. Going to be finding it anywhere between a plus 110 to a plus 116. And when it comes to Taylor Hearn, he certainly has been giving up a whole bunch of contact, and he's going up against a guy in Reed Detmers that is coming off of throwing a no-hitter, which is absolutely nothing short of remarkable, but this is the spot in which I do mind him saying the Angels at right around a minus 123 if we're able to get the juice to adjust a little bit more. You wind up having more of a 10-cent line in a lot of these spots where you wind up having the Angels be right around a minus 122, and like a plus 112 on the Rangers, we'll be willing to take a shot on the Angels at this price. We are doing this as openers are just coming out. Reed Detmers, certainly someone that I'm not necessarily overly high on still, but 
You take a look at his last few starts, and he has really been able to rise up. If you include the no-hitter start, he has given up a combined six runs in his last four starts, giving up just one home run and giving up a grand total of five walks in that time span. Swing and miss stuff has actually been a little bit down for him, just 20 strikeouts over the course of 31 innings, so he's been doing it without getting a whole bunch of whiffs. And you take a look at Taylor Hearn. I mentioned it. This is a guy that's giving up just a whole bunch of contact in general. He's currently rocking a 526 ERA. is giving up a hits per nine rate that is hovering right around 10, and the walks are really an issue. Right around 4.6-ish walks per nine innings. He's actually backed up by a relatively solid bullpen. Joe Barlow has been able to do a very solid job for this team. You take a look a little bit past that and been able to get good innings out of some of these other guys that you weren't necessarily expecting. Matt Moore rocking at 216 ERA entering into Monday. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression there, but you've also been able to have Brock Burke come in. He has been very good for the scene. Buck 45 ERA, so I love what he's been able to do for the scene, but when it comes to the Texas Rangers, certainly the bats need to wake up a little bit, and I'm looking at you, Marcus Simeon, who wound up having as many home runs as Greg Peterson entering into Monday, and then past that, you've had Corey Seager be able to do a little bit of something for this team. He's been able to give the team seven home runs, 234 batting average, but still, it certainly is a case in which the Texas Rangers leaving a whole like lot of something to be desired at the plate. They've been trying out some different guys. Sam Uff, who has been hitting a 300, is nice, but I mean, that's in 10 at-bats. You look at guys that they've got more than 10 at-bats that wound up getting the start on Monday for the team, and you wound up having one guy hitting above a 241, and that would be Jonah Heim. And while the Rangers were able to bust out with bats yesterday, I don't think that that's going to be the case in this one because, well, they just have been not necessarily so terrific all season long. And even though the Angels did have to dive very deep into their bullpen on Monday, you still have guys like Ryan Tapera, Rossio Iglesias, that because they wound up going with the long guys because they just needed length in general after no Thor Syndergaard wound up just giving two-thirds of an inning. This is a team that they should be in relatively solid shape, and you just take a look at the lineup in general. When it comes to the Angels, Taylor Ward, right around a 500 on on-base percentage. He's been able to deliver eight home runs this season. Mike Trotreo, Otani, you know you're going to be able to get uh, these two gentlemen. Otani has been able to do a nice job going deep in two out of the last three games. Mike Trout, 433 on base. I mean, Anthony Rendon, we were talking about it with Joe Fan. He hasn't even necessarily gotten going, but Jared Walsh has been able to do a solid job. Brandon Marsh is hitting right around 290 for this team, so I do think that the Angels should be given a little bit of a leg up in this spot with regards to the Angels. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 123 with them. Right now, in a lot of places, I'm seeing between minus 122, minus 124 as I wind up updating this right now. So at the minus 122, that would be my buy point here on the Angels. So I'm looking there, and I did wind up saying my total at an 8.8. So here at the 8.5, looking over, and I'm going to be looking at the Angels at minus 122 or less. 981, 982 is currently off the board. The Minnesota Twins hit the road face off against the Oakland A's. James Caprillion is going to be going for the A's, and Josh Winder is going to be on the bump for Minnesota. Currently, we don't have numbers up on this game, but I wound up saying the Twins as a minus 112 favorite, and I did wind up saying my total at a 7.8, so a 7.5 or less. Looking at an over and an 8 or higher, taking a look at the under. I was talking about it with Joe, the fact that weather in general and just the strange circumstances between day and night, it feels like it's been playing more of a factor with regards to these totals than ever before, and with Oakland, you do have night games that got the marine layer that is out that has the ball dying very much, and you take a look at both of these bullpens entering into the series, both in the top 10 with regards to ERA. It has been very impressive now. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression with regards to this Oakland A's bullpen. I mean, A.J. Puck is someone that I really do like. 0.59 ERA entering into what we wound up seeing on Monday. Sam Mall, Danny Jimenez, both a sub-1 ERA. Are they good? Yes. Are they sub-1 ERA good? 
most likely not. Adam Kolarik at a 3.55 ERA. That is a little bit more representative of what we're seeing out of them. And then for the Minnesota Twins, it's just sort of been mixing and matching. Joe Smith has not given up a single run all season long. That is absolutely ridiculous. Danny Columbia has been a little bit off and on injured. He's been able to do a solid job for this team as well. But you actually take a look at the starting pitcher, Mr. Winder, and you want to beginning his season out of the bullpen. Has been able to do a solid job as a starter. Has given up a combined three earned runs over the course of his three starts. His last start against the Houston Astros. Not necessarily so terrific, but going up against the Oakland A's rather than the Houston Astros as a big giant difference as you take a look at the Oakland A's and their starting lineup on Monday. They had one guy in the fold hitting above a 222, and that was a gentleman with 12 at-bats in Lucas Barea. So, certainly not necessarily going their way. You do have a couple guys like Seth Brown, Sean Murphy, that are able to give you a little bit of pop in the bat, but they just have not been able to get on base in general. And for the Minnesota Twins, they have been dealing with a couple of ailments of their own. Trevor Larnage, Miguel Sano, Carlos Correa, guys that are currently on the injured list, but you do have that man, Byron Buxton. 11 home runs in his first 24 games of the season has been nothing short of masterful there. Ore Polanco, along with Kyle Garland, like Gio Rochelle, a lot of guys in between about a 235 to a 245-ish with the team. You've had Nick Gordon be able to get on base for you as well. And then I do take a look at what you're going to be able to get on the flip side for this Oakland A's team. And it's been interesting to take a look at Caprillion because he wanted to begin the season on the injured list. And we've noticed that guys that have been dealing with those injuries have had a little bit of truncated spring training. They've had a little bit of a tough time getting going. But last two starts against the Minnesota Twins and the Detroit Tigers, a combined three runs allowed over the course of 10 and two-thirds innings. Looks like he is getting back to what he was last season, though the walks a little bit concerning. Nine walks in 12 and two-thirds innings. So as a result, I did wind up defaulting a little bit more to the Windy Man and Josh Winder. Set the Twins as a minus 112 favorite. And when it comes to this total, set it at a 7.8. So as long as we wind up getting this matchup 7.5 or less, looking over 8 or higher to the under. And we wrap things up with 9.83, 9.84 on the betting board. The Cleveland Guardians going to be playing us the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Connor Overton getting the start. And Zach Blesak going to be going for the Guardians. Guardians are finding themselves in between minus 151 and minus 160 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Reds, you're going to be getting them anywhere between plus 135 and plus 147 with 8 to 8 at being your total. On the NF, unders minus 120, the overs even. On the 8, overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125, the unders anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110. And with the Guardians, made them minus 183 on the money line. And if you're taking a look at them on the run line, you're able to find it at a plus 135 in most spots. And I'm willing to take the run line because you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds team. In their last 21 losses, 18 of them have been by multiple runs. I do recognize that you do wind up forfeiting those last at-bats in the ninth inning with the home team, but it's our Reds team that currently they are dead last with regards to ERA by more than a full point. And Connor Overton has been their best starter, but I do think that he's going to be doing for a little bit of regression here. He's got a buck 59 ERA through his three starts. He wound up going up against Colorado Rockies, which that's a pretty impressive start, but his other two came against a Pittsburgh Pirates. Six walks in 17 innings, so a little bit over three walks per nine innings, and he's very much a pitch of contact guy. He's only gotten eight punch outs over the course of 17 innings, and then you do take a look at Zach Fleasek, another guy that he's not necessarily going to get a whole bunch of swings and misses, has never necessarily been his game. He's always looking to just have good command. Ten walks in 32 and two-thirds innings, that'll fly. He's only been able to get his strikeouts per nine rate, that's over right around about a 5.758-ish and has certainly been shelled recently. Four-plus earned runs in each out of his last three games. Five total runs given up in each out of the last three because there's been a lot of unearned runs that have been surrendered as well. Five home runs given up in 32 and two-thirds innings. And for the Reds, to their credit, this has been a team that has been able to get it going on offense aside from when they wind up pitching a no-hitter against the Pittsburgh Pirates as Tommy Pham is sitting right around 240 with a 
355 on base. Brandon Drury is hitting a 250. He's been able to go deep seven times. Mike Moussakis wanted being out of the fold for much of that losing streak. He's been able to hit about a 255 as well. And then you've been able to have the catcher, Tyler Stevenson, really be able to step up now. He is currently in concussion protocol. That is a little bit tough. So I do wind up having to downgrade the Reds a little bit for that regard because he's hitting with an on-base of a 390, four home runs, 19 RBI, and 68 at-bats. He has been solid. And for the Reds, this is just out of bullpen that you can have a lot of faith in. Art Warren, Hunter Strickland, both of these guys have been a hot mess coming out of the bullpen. Dori Moretta has been dealing with a little bit of injury of his own. He is not necessarily been too terrific when he's been out there either. Luis Sessa is able to give you a couple solid innings. But you take a look at the Cleveland Guardians and the fact that Trevor Stephen has had a sub-2 ERA has been very good for this team. Brian Shaw has come in. He has been a little bit of a issue for this team, to say the least, but you still have Emmanuel Classe, one of the best closers in all of baseball. Nick Sandlin is able to give you some serviceable innings as well, so did wind up making the Guardians a relatively sizable favorite on the money line, but like I mentioned with the Reds, the way that they're losing these games by multiple runs, I would rather take the plus 135 run line price here of the Guardians, so I'm looking there, and with regards to the total, I did wind up setting it at a 8.7 because and it's a Reds team that they've been able to do a relatively solid job on offense. Guardians they themselves, they've got themselves a really good offense as well as Jose Ramirez already has 30 plus RBI. He's been able to go deep eight times. Owen Miller sitting at 300. Stephen Kwan, even though he's seen a little bit of regression with regards to his numbers, still a 377 on base. Amit Rosario has been a little bit up and down this season, but even a guy like Andre Semenez sitting at 325 has been solid. And Josh Naylor, I mean, he is nailing the ball whenever he gets an opportunity. Five bombs at 72 at bat, sitting above a 300. So this is fine, in which I'm going to be taking a look at the over and the Guardians run line, and that will wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to Joe Fan of WinBet for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to listen. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters CM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. I that five-star review, and I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. And that does mean that I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.